This podcast is brought to you by the Village of Bedford Park, your home for business. Over 450 businesses strong and growing with a safe, reliable Lake Michigan water supply. Visit VOBPBiz.com and bring your business home to the Village of Bedford Park. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Now, the WBBM Noon Business Hour. It's 12.03, Thursday afternoon, November 3rd. Thanks for joining us on the WBBM Noon Business Hour, presented by the Village of Bedford Park. I'm Rob Hart. Ford has unveiled its 2023 Ford Transit Trail Van, a new model designed for outdoor enthusiasts. We'll learn about that in our next segment. Right now is a very busy day of economic data, including reports on factory orders in the services sector, plus the government jobs report for October is due to Tomorrow, let's break it all down with the help of Greg McBride, Chief Financial Analyst, Bankrate.com, based in Palm Beach Gardens, Florida. Greg, thanks for joining us today. Let's take a look at the uh, uh, cost of labor to kick off the uh, numbers roundup today. Uh, unit labor costs increasing 3.5% July to September. That's below the Dow Jones estimate. What does that mean as far as the overall fight un- against inflation is concerned? Well, Rob, that's one of many inflation measures that the Fed looks at. And when we look at it on a year-over-year basis, it's still up over 6%. So, you know, it's still just another one of those data points indicating that inflation is very much as much an issue now as it was a few months ago. We're not seeing the type of substantive pullback that we would have expected after such aggressive Fed moves over the last eight months. Jobless claims, the weekly unemployment insurance claims 217,000 for the week ending October 29th, down 1,000 from the previous period. So still shows that uh, despite all of the efforts to pile uh, interest rate hikes on top of the economy, the uh, labor sector is very, very robust. Yeah, robust is exactly the word. I mean, those weekly unemployment claims are still ultra low. We get the monthly jobs report tomorrow. Estimates are a little bit slower pace of job growth, but still expecting around 225,000 new jobs, which, again, I think kind of underscores the robust nature of the labor market. Of course, we got the JOLTS report earlier in the week that showed there's 10.7 million open jobs. So, uh, yeah, no no problems in the job market, that's for sure. Factory orders popped in the month of September, uh, driven by uh, aircraft. Is that an encouraging sign for uh, airline passengers who have been dealing with uh, disruptions and delays over the entire course of 2022 that more planes are on the way? Well, I mean, it takes a while to build them, so I'm not sure there's immediate relief on that front, but, uh, and even then they'll probably, you know, shrink the leg room or something. But, uh, you know, I think the more troubling aspect on those factory orders, Rob, was the fact that there's there's one subcomponent there that's kind of viewed as an indicator of business spending, and it was actually down. So, you know, we headline numbers, we have some strong economic data points, but there are some indicators below the surface of a decelerating economy, and this is one of them. At the same time, though, is it also uh, evidence that uh, that manufacturers spent most of 2021 in 
portions of 2022 struggling to keep up with demand, and now they just have a glut of supply? Well, from a manufacturing standpoint, that that may well be the case, although the supply chain's been kind of start, stop, start, stop, even throughout 2022. I think the troubling aspect is just that, you know, businesses that are growing and expanding are continuing to make capital investments. And when you see that start to decline, it's in historic in historic terms, that's been a, an indicator of, of an economic downturn to come. And we look at back at the 2000-2001 recession, where it first started to show up was declining business investment. Greg McBride, Chief Financial Analyst, Bankrate.com, based in Palm Beach Gardens, Florida. Thanks for joining us this afternoon. Coming up, Ford introduces a van with features designed to make it more livable. A deposit for your future. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. At one time it was a cautionary tale i live in a van down by the river chris farley as the motivational speaker matt foley on saturday night live more years ago than i care to admit that may not be everybody's dream but ford is bringing that possibility closer to reality with a new full-sized van with upgraded features let's get the details from jeff gilbert cbs automotive reporter based in detroit and jeff this it just goes to show you that trends are cyclical because in the 70s you know having a really cool van uh that was the ultimate status symbol Go ball, shag carpeting, great sound system. I mean, they, they wrote a song about having a really cool Chevy van. And then now in 2022, you could have a really cool tricked out Ford van. Hey, and I never really thought of the connection because Jim Farley, who's the CEO of Ford, is a cousin of Chris Farley. So who knows? Maybe, maybe that, that inspired this. I seriously doubt it. Because <laughs> it, was, it was genetic. It was in the family. <laughs> Yeah, this is very different from those kind of fans. What what Ford has seen is a lot of people want to go into the great outdoors, and they have been modifying a, a lot of different vans, things of that nature. So they went, okay, what if we take all those modifications, do it ourselves, give you a package that has all-wheel drive, high ground clearance, power on board, Wi-Fi connectivity, all of the kinds of things that a major car maker can do. And then you as a do-it-yourselfer can either trick it out with a bed, with whatever you want inside there. You can hire one of thousands of companies to do that. And you've got something pretty special. Now, this doesn't come cheap. It's $65,000 base price for the vehicle. And probably by the time you upfit it, you're talking about six figures. Now, this is also a post-pandemic trend or a trend brought about by the COVID pandemic because I did know two people who actually, over the course of the summer of 2020, did hit the road in a in a van in one case or an RV in the other, and they stayed there because they were working remotely. They didn't they weren't called back to the office, and as long as they had a cell signal and some Wi-Fi, uh, they could do their job and then just go from town to town. Hey, there are lots of people who want to go out somewhere remote. They don't necessarily want to be in a tent. They want to be in something more comfortable. So, so that's the audience that Ford is going into here. If you go into a national park, you see a lot of vans that have been tricked out that, that the people are staying in. And, of course, there's the whole RV phenomenon. And, and this can become like a smaller RV that's easier to drive. And Ford is also hoping to sell a lot of these 
to people who rent vehicles like this, because a lot of people may not want to buy something like this, but they wouldn't mind spending some money to, to rent something like this and, and go on a trip for a couple of weeks. And very quickly, Jeff, if I'm a Winnebago, am I concerned about this trend of Ford offering kind of a, a lower price point uh vehicle that could be converted into an RV? Or am I looking forward to this because it's bringing more people into the marketplace who would want to upgrade to a Winnebago in the future? Uh, No, you're probably more concerned about it because Ford also does make bigger RVs and things of that nature. So they're definitely trying to, to carve out more of that territory. Jeff Gilbert, CBS News automotive reporter based in Detroit. Thanks for joining us today. Coming up next, downtown developers face a challenge in making LaSalle Street more of a residential area. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. A Mayor Lightfoot plan to give LaSalle Street in downtown Chicago a neighborhood feel is a tough task. Let's discuss some of the difficulties with Danny Ecker, reporter with Crane Chicago Business. Danny, thanks for joining us today. The uh, pandemic did a number on the downtown office market with a number of uh, businesses shrinking their footprints or deciding to seek uh, greener pastures and more modern buildings. And that's a real problem for the very moody and atmospheric 1930s buildings that uh, line the south end of LaSalle Street downtown. Right. Well, that's why we have a lot of vacancy right there, right in the heart of the loop. And, you know, certainly these older uh, office buildings that are on LaSalle Street and, and near it are just have fallen out of favor among some of the big, especially uh, financial companies that have moved to new towers on Wacker Drive and elsewhere in the West Loop. And so the question remains, what happens to these buildings? And, you know, some of these move outs uh, coincided with the pandemic. And so now we are in a position where uh, the goal is to try to restore some vitality to the central loop. Uh, because there are retailers that need more foot traffic and uh, certainly need more people down there. And so there's this this effort now to try to incentivize some of these uh, office buildings to be converted into apartments. But as we explained in our story that came out today, there's there's a lot there's a lot of challenges involved with that. There's some tough math when you take uh, large old office buildings with big floors and try to make apartments out of them. Well, yeah, these big old buildings uh, may not succeed as uh, modern offices, but they could be they could be really unsuccessful as modern apartment buildings. Uh, yeah, well, they you know there's a lot of apartment demand right now, uh, which is what is enticing developers to consider projects like this. Um, and I think that the challenge is you know especially when you have a sunlight starved corridor like LaSalle Street, you know, and you have some buildings that are, are so deep with their floor plates that you know, you'd have these long, narrow apartment units, potentially, that don't have a lot of sunlight coming in. How much can you charge for those? And, you know, then does it make sense to have to take the risks of, of you know, unexpected costs of, of uh, converting an old building like these? So there's, there's a lot of uh, hurdles that I think developers have to clear to uh, justify being able to take one of these on, and that's why the city is hoping to offer some subsidies to help uh, shoulder the burden. And then very quickly, what are some of the buildings we're talking about? I know we uh, have discussed the plight of the old insurance exchange building on Jackson as a uh, potential uh, residential uh, turnaround project, and uh, possibly the old uh, LaSalle Bank building at uh, Jackson and LaSalle. Um, any other, uh, any other, other buildings uh, that could be uh, targets for uh, apartment renovation? 
Yeah, those two are good examples. One uh, that has been marketed as a potential apartment renovation is at 105 West Adams. It's known as the Clark Adams Building. So it's just a block from LaSalle uh, that uh, the majority of that building um, is in financial distress and could be a conversion candidate. And another one that actually was just hit with a foreclosure suit uh, back in September was a kind of a smaller building, but um, more prominent one also at uh, 19 South LaSalle uh, that uh, also could be converted. So, you know, there's a bunch of different options out there, and this is just going to take some time, I think, for developers to say, hey, how low can we, how, 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 how much, uh, how low can the number be to purchase these properties, and what's it going to cost to really convert them? Danny Ecker, reporter, Crane Chicago Business. Thanks for joining us this afternoon. Still ahead in Technology Thursday, deciding when what, what time is the right time to get a cell phone for your children. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are so let instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date download the instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last minimum ten dollar per order additional term supply this is chicago's news traffic and weather station news radio 1059 The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. Good afternoon, I'm Rob Hart. These are the top stories on News Radio WBBM. This is Bernie Tafoya. Democratic and Republican heavyweights prepare to visit the Chicago area in last-minute pushes for votes for their candidates. Lake Michigan beaches in northwest Indiana will remain public property. Technology Thursday determining what's the right age to give children a cell phone. And Netflix launches a new, cheaper service that includes commercials. WBBM Business, the market are lower. The Dow is down 70 points. The Nasdaq is down 112. The S&P 500 is down 22. 53 degrees right now. Actually, check that. 67 degrees in Chicago under mostly sunny skies at 1231. Topping our news at the half hour. High-profile Democrats and Republicans are coming to the Chicago area over the next few days to campaign ahead of Tuesday's midterm vote. President Joe Biden is expected to be in Chicago for a get-out-the-vote push tomorrow and maybe Saturday as well. He's especially focusing on tighter congressional races, including ones involving incumbents Sean Caston, Lauren Underwood, and Bill Foster. On Sunday, Vice President Kamala Harris will make remarks at an Asian American and Pacific Islander event in the city, as well as take part in a Democratic Party rally. On the Republican side, House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy is expected in the Chicago area to campaign for Orland Park Mayor Keith Peacock, who is challenging Congressman Sean Caston. Bernie Tafoya, 105.9 WBBM. The U.S. Supreme Court has turned away a case involving the ownership of beaches on Lake Michigan in Indiana. Three property owners in the town of Porter claim the government took private land from them without compensation. The Indiana Supreme Court ruled four years ago the state has owned the land since the early 1800s. The pass by the U.S. High Court means the shoreline will remain open to the public. The noon business hour continues at 12.32, presented by the Village of Bedford Park. Markets are in the red. We're joined by Ken Crawford, Portfolio Manager, Argent Capital, based in Clayton, Missouri. Ken, thanks for joining us today. After yesterday's uh, wild swings related to the interest rate hike announcement, uh, the markets are lower, but kind of in a subdued way. What's uh, driving traders' decisions today? 
Well, I think you're seeing some of the growthier stocks come in. Uh, probably not a surprise with higher interest rates that pushes down the valuation, the PE of growthy stocks. And I think people are looking for for values in what has been a difficult market this year. And then when it comes to uh, the Fed's decision-making yesterday and uh, everybody uh, signaling their disappointment with the massive sell-off at the uh, end of the session yesterday, that maybe that uh, pivot wasn't coming yet. Um, what will the Fed need to see before they moderate uh, their comments about interest rates and, and potentially uh, keeping up the, the, the pace of rate hikes into the future? I think what they'll need to see is data that shows that inflation is slowing and also um, data that shows that we consumers are not expecting inflation going forward so that that would give the Fed room to kind of back away from the higher interest rates that we've seen the last four moves that they've made. Now, when you say that uh, we, the public, uh, our, our inflation expectations do play a role in the Fed's decision making, uh, does that mean that uh, if, if we just generally said, you know what, we don't anticipate any price increases in the future, that uh, Jerome Powell's going to back off and listen to what we have to say? I don't know if he would back off, but it would give him a little more uh, wiggle room, if you will. And one of the things that he mentioned in his press conference yesterday was looking at inflation expectations uh, on the part of the populace. And he said um, he would be much more comfortable overshooting, meaning raising interest rates to try to slow the economy, than undershooting and have to come back and, and push further. So... Uh, a, a big part of it is how we are thinking and how we are acting with regard to inflation. The discussion of uh, the tools the Fed has to uh, uh, bring the economy back into a state of equilibrium, this it's like a mirror image version of the discussion we were having in 2010 and 2011 um, after the uh, uh, Congress passed the uh, stimulus measure in the wake of the financial crisis, and uh, then the Fed went into qualitative easing, and the debate was, well, when is this going to affect the economy at large? It took a while, but the impact of quantitative easing then kind of set the tone for the entire uh, 20-teens decade. That's right. So you went from QE, quantitative easing, as you were talking about, and there was a lag to QT, quantitative tightening, today. And one of the things that investors are looking for is when does that lag from quantitative tightening begin to show up either in Fed actions or the economy as a whole. Right now, jobs continue to be very strong, and I'm sure that's a, an element on the Fed's radar. They would like to see a little bit of loosening in the jobs market. Um, but to be sure, there is a lag going forward. How much credibility does the Fed have right now? I mean, I know they uh, they they were they underestimated inflation about a year ago. The uh, transitory comments uh, have not aged particularly well. But did they build up so much equity, as it were, uh, by by creating a slow, steady, and sustained recovery in the last decade uh, that they still have that credibility today? Uh, I think it kind of cuts both ways, honestly. I think 
Um, to be fair to them, I mean, the first time in 100 years a pandemic, the first time in 80 years a major war in Europe, the first time in 40 years inflation. So Jay Powell has certainly been dealt a difficult hand. Uh, as you uh, mentioned, quantitative easing and getting us out of the pandemic worked very well. But his comments about transitory with regard to inflation obviously was not the case. So some people think the Fed has been late and and kind of wonders, is the Fed doing the right job? And others, to your point, think the Fed did pretty well getting us out of the pandemic. So let's cut them a little slack and see where we go from here. Ken Crawford, Portfolio Manager, Argent Capital in Clayton, Missouri. Thanks for joining us this afternoon. Coming up next in Technology Thursday, choosing the right time to give your child their first cell phone. A daily transaction for useful information. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. It's Technology Thursday. This afternoon, the focus is on cell phones and when you should provide your first child with one. We welcome in Jennifer Jolly, Tech Life columnist for USA Today and founder and editor in chief of techish.com based in Seattle Jennifer thanks for joining us today and just just to show you how much the uh, the cell phone conversation has shifted in the last 25 years or so uh, I remember going to high school and one of the more well-to-do students had a personal cell phone and I thought that was an unimaginable amount of luxury back in 1996 and now uh, if you're 10 years old uh, you that you 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 need a cell phone phone. It's it's your way of staying in touch with mom and dad. And for the kid, it's their way of staying in touch with their friends. Yeah, that's absolutely right. By the age of 11, 53% of kids in America have their own smartphone. This is uh, according to research by Common Sense Media. And I have to say, having been through this with my own kids, having all of my friends go through this with their kids now, 11 if you're handing a smartphone over to a child without parental controls, without uh, some sort of training wheels, you are making a dumb parenting decision. Most of the time, there's always going to be that young child who can handle it. But that is like giving your child keys to a Maserati before they've ever even taken one driving test and saying, good luck out there. You have to teach your kids how to use these phones, you have to monitor their use, and you have to teach them how to deal with this incredibly powerful and often dangerous uh, gadget that you're putting into the palm of their hand. And there's a lot of ways to do this. How has the pandemic and specifically remote learning changed the calculus? Because I know in my own mm-hmm. in my own household, uh, we had two school-aged children at the time. They both got iPads to do remote learning but they also discovered very quickly they could use the iPads to message their friends on Facebook mm-hmm. Messenger. And all of a sudden, my oldest was uh, sending messages to uh, classmates and video calls. And we had to sit her down and say, look, um, there's such a thing as dinner time, bedtime, before 8 o'clock in the morning. Uh, you, you, you can't do that all the time. And eventually we took it away because it was just what? proving to be too much of a distraction. But are, 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 are kids a lot more <laughs> comfortable with, with iPads and iPhones now just because of remote learning? Well, they're not only more comfortable, but, you know, we as parents, we had to just, we were in emergency mode. A lot of parents I know had to give their kids cell phones because of that remote learning, because that was their only lifeline to their friends, to some semblance of 
of a social life. So a lot of my friends gave their kids iPhones and then they've since had to say, look, we had to do that during COVID, but we made a mistake. We're, we're completely helpless. We're completely addicted to these. It's even worse for your brain. You know, these our brains at that age, especially these gadgets are wired. They are built. They are deeply engineered to get us sucked in and addicted to them. And it's worse for kids. So parents use that Apple family sharing or Google family link, limit screen time, model good behavior, do it for yourself and do it for your kids. And then also parents, please get familiar with what I call training wheel phones. There are so many kid phones and kids wearable watches that can do the basics. $50 a month, there's this Spark phone that just launched um, in mid-November, or, or sorry, mid-October. Um, it, it's like a pared-down phone, and there are several types of these where you can customize them so that they can reach out to specific contacts. Specific contacts can reach out to them. You can lock down uh, bedtime, you know, nighttime when they're supposed to be sleeping. You can lock down school hours but it helps them learn how to use these tools responsibly from the get-go. And uh, just to, if, if, if they do uh, have a, a smartphone or a smart device, when I get, the, get it for uh, the holidays, uh, even before you talk about the big bad internet, it's just a matter of parents setting some rules of the road. Oh yeah, you really have to do that as a family. Make your family media plan, your family smartphone plan, and then parents, this, I mean, in my own family, I was the one answering calls during dinner. You have to make the rules. You have to stick to them yourself and model good, sane behavior. You have to do it. It's one of those things like, like teaching your kids how to drive a car or not to drink until a certain age. This is just part of raising kids these days. And there's a lot of us going through it. It's easier than you might think. Your kids are not always going to be able to find workarounds. And there's a lot of, of uh, people and uh, places that you can go for that help. We're, a lot of us are here to help you through that. Jennifer Jolly, Tech Life columnist for USA Today, founder and editor-in-chief of Techish.com, based in Seattle. Thanks for joining us today. Join us this time tomorrow for Entrepreneur Friday. And still to come, you can get a new, less expensive version of Netflix, but there is a catch. It's the WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. Netflix now has a cheaper option for its streaming service. However, users will have to accept some compromises in order to save money. We're joined by Tim Hamlin, founder and CEO of the Vertex hair group based in Chicago. Tim, thanks for joining us today. What are the details about this new ad-supported tier of Netflix? Well, Rob, I looked it up, and this is even before you were hosting the show. October 17, 2017, I was on the show saying probably for the first time that Netflix would have to eventually bring advertising into their business mix. And today is the day, uh, as of 11 a.m. Uh, this morning here Chicago Central Time, uh, the ad tier uh, is now available uh, as a choice by uh, and from Netflix. Uh, it is called Basic with Ads. It will be $6.99 a month. Uh, that is a basically a $3 a month uh, savings from the cheapest ad-free membership. Uh, those uh, uh, four-pay, no-ad uh, environments that Netflix offers are still uh, available and still at the same price. But this is the new ad-supported here 
uh, that will incorporate some levels of advertising for the very first time. And over the course of those last five years since you made that bold prediction about uh, Netflix uh, adding <laughs> advertising, uh, Netflix has become even more of an outlier in having commercial-free content. Hulu has ads. Paramount Plus has ads. Uh, other streaming, Par- uh, Peacock uh, has an ad, an ad tier. So clearly the marketplace doesn't mind a, a two-minute commercial break. Yeah, I mean, that's one way to look at it. Apple TV Plus also now uh, very uh, much exploring the the opportunity as well. Um, In many respects, perhaps, uh, I think it's just frankly a, um, I don't know, maybe a maturation of the of the industry. Right. So it's it's kind of replicating uh, a bit where cable networks were 25, 30 years ago, where it's a it's a much better business model if you can get people to pay as well as watch advertising. Um, I think uh, the idea of streaming, subscription streaming, uh, started off as a, um, you know, a more premium environment, uh, something that is, uh, uh, you know, has a higher quality programming, uh, different program lengths and all that kind of stuff, binge watching. Uh, but that's become very common now as all the competition has come up. And uh, advertising is too hard of a free cash flow business model to avoid uh, any longer than uh, than one might have to. And I think that's in everybody's business calculus now is to get paid twice, if you will. And then very quickly, Tim, uh, how do advertisers feel about this? I mean, are they flocking to Netflix? I mean, I, we all heard stories about how uh, advertising has been pulling back and they're making their, their decisions differently about marketing. Uh, how do they feel about Netflix? Yeah, I think the timing is a little off, right, because of uh, perhaps an impending recession, a lot of skittishness about advertising. Uh, generally, though, I think people are a little uh, hesitant. So I, some advertisers are in there now, uh, but a lot are sort of waiting and seeing. I think some of that's macro, but uh, some of it is also uh, a bet on waiting to see what Netflix can actually do with this. Tim Hanlon, founder and CEO of the Verter Group based in Chicago. Thanks for joining us today. You'll find past programs and later today, a podcast of this hour at WBBMNewsRadio.com and the Odyssey app. Tune in is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively sports. The clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. Yes, and even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here on TuneIn. Go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. It's better over here. After investing billions to light up our network, T-Mobile is America's largest 5G network. Plus, right now, you can switch, keep your phone, and we'll pay it off up to $800. See how you can save on every plan versus Verizon and AT&T at T-Mobile.com slash across America. Up to four lines via virtual prepaid card. A left 15 days. Qualifying unlocked device credit service ported 90 plus days with device and eligible carrier and timely redemption required. Card has no cash access and expires in six months.